right. So, like I was saying, the the point we come to now, though, is hey, <laughs> getting water. <laughs> is is that we? I thought you were just looking over my shoulder at the notes, so you know where we're going. Um, we we know this part. We know that we are to be growing in holiness. We know that um, we're we're in the pursuit of godliness. And I think what sometimes escapes us, or, or what often has escaped me in, in being a believer and then in, in trying to find out, okay, what are the next steps? What is growing in godliness? Is, is what exactly to do about this? And so often, and there's so many areas that this is true, but so often I think this is fueled by wrong expectations. Um, we, we want to be holy. Sorry. Um, we want to be holy, we want to be godly, we, we, we don't want to displease the Lord um, or be disobedient to Him. We, we want to read our Bibles more diligently, we want to have a better prayer life, we, we want to get out, more out of the church services, more out of our Bible reading, we want to be better um, with evangelism, but we're not sure why, despite all of that desire, why we're not making significant or maybe even notable or, or maybe at all progress. And, and really, I think the problem with that often is that wanting holiness is not enough to make you holy. It's not enough to actually grow you in that holiness. It's a great start, but it's not all that it takes. And I think another pitfall that we can fall into is this idea of we know exactly what holiness is and, and what the pursuit of it looks like. We know all of the proper steps. We know and recognize that God is holy, that, that, that we're to be holy because God is holy. We can sh- quote chapter and verse on that reality. We're theologically astute on the topic, and we, we've read all the books. But again, knowing about holiness is not the same as being holy, and, and, and it's not enough to make you holy. Uh, Philip mentioned the other night at the end of the service that, that we're going to start going through that book, The Holiness of God by Sproul. And in that, he, he makes the caution um, not to mistake a uh, attraction to holiness or a desire for holiness to actually being holy, and I think I think we're we're prone to do that. I think maybe even within our um, I don't know with our biblical bent that we're maybe a little bit more prone to that. That we know the right thing, we know what holiness is, we know how critical it is. We're not into easy believism. We're not into like hey, just anything goes. We know these things. But it's not the same as actually being them. It's not the same as actually practicing them. So, what do we need? Because if it's not enough to just want it, and it's not enough to just know what it is, why is there so little hope, progress of holiness in my life? Why is it wanting to study the Bible more, wanting to sin less, wanting and affirming that holiness is where it's at? Why am I not getting there? Why is it then that, you know what? know, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix it. So, um, Steve Lawson, who's a a pastor and and professor, he has this to say on it. Living the Christian life, by all biblical accounts, necessitates the passionate pursuit of personal holiness. Sanctification is never an elective course that a believer may or may not take. Neither is it an upper-level graduate study required for only a few disciples. Instead, it is a core class, mandated for all Christians. Godliness is a lifelong study, for no one graduates from the school of Christ this side of heaven. He goes on to say, to be sure, this pursuit necessitates self-discipline. 
It's astounding how many professing believers are slack or lazy regarding the self-discipline needed for growth and godliness. All that to say, nobody becomes holy or makes progress in holiness on accident without definite activity towards it. There must be more than a head knowledge and a heart desire for holiness. There's got to be diligent activity as well. Holiness has hard work as a requirement. And <clears throat> this, this isn't just Steve Lawson's take on this. So if you've got your Bible or you've got a Bible app that you can pull up real quick. Um, look with me at 1 Timothy 4. And, and I'll share, while you're turning there, I'll, I'll share kind of a, I told it, I told it in one of my classes one time in reference to the same subject. And I don't know if it was just them or what, but like I told them, they're like, oh, that's so sad. But um, when I was in high school, I think all y'all know this, when I was in high school, I was really, really overweight. And, um, you know, I was 300 plus pounds as a 14, 15 year old. And so <clears throat> I didn't really know what to do about that. And it was sort of like, okay, I, wanna, I don't want to be so fat. I don't want to be so overweight. I don't want this. But I really like not running. And I really like Doritos and Snickers and Mountain Dew. And, and I remember, even as I like started to make progress in losing weight, <clears throat> um, I remember I would, especially like going to, going to high school and like having people make fun of me or different things like that or not being able to do things that I was overweight. I remember one night in particular, just, just laying in my bed, and it sounds really pathetic now, but laying there and just being like, Lord, just make me skinny. Just praying. Just, Lord, don't, don't, don't let me be fat anymore. And like trying to think, okay, like I can pray this away. That I can lay in bed and, and somehow the Lord will just transform me into, but it doesn't work that way in physical bodily exercise or in exercise of holiness. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And this is going to be the main passage that we're in this evening. The context that, that we're going to look at these verses in, um, Paul is warning against apostasy about people who would um, proclaim to be in the truth and then walk away from it. <clears throat> and warning Timothy to keep the main thing the main thing in the church, which is what he covers in the previous chapter, really in the, in the verse that comes just before chapter 4 and chapter 3, verse 16, in the midst of telling Timothy how to stay the course as a pastor in a difficult environment, Paul has this to say in warning Timothy. Uh, verse 6, In pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Jesus Christ, constantly nourished on the words of faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. So he's pointing, he says, in pointing out the false teaching in verses 1 through 5, in pointing out the false, false teachers, you will be a good servant of Christ. And then in verse 7 he says, but have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for good women. Or for old women, sorry. Fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Verse 8, for bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And you may have heard it said before, but it's only because it's true. The commands in Scripture are there because we need them. 
the commands in Scripture are there because we need to be warned towards or away from something. So when, 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 when Paul writes to Timothy, who in his society is still considered a youth, and you'll see that in just a few verses in verse 12, he gives two commands. He gives two commands in this section. The first one is to refuse, or as it's translated in, in, in the NASB here, have nothing to do with worldly fables fit only for old women. The word he uses here about refusing or have nothing to do with is the same word that he's going to use in chapter 5, verse 11, when he says, um, refuse to put younger widows on the list of those to be cared for by the church. It's an intentional shunning or declining or, or, or putting off something. Paul tells Timothy, don't have anything to do with these worldly fables, these unprofitable things. And we'll come back to that more in just a minute. But the second command is what he says there in the middle of verse 7. On the other hand, or rather, instead of having to do with these worldly fables, on the other hand, or rather, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. No, this is a real fun word that, that, that Paul uses here when he says discipline, and, and Stephen and I were talking about it back and forth this, this afternoon in my office. Um, it's where we get the word gymnasium, and it carries the idea in, in that time where someone would go to the arena for physical exercise. They would go there, and they would strip down from everything that could burden them, hold them back. Maybe you've heard that, oh, you know, they, they did the Olympics and different things naked. Um, they, or, or like in a loincloth, but everything was, we're taking off these robes, we're taking off everything that would, um, that would entangle us, that would wrap us up, that would burden us, and we're getting down, we're stripping down to just the bare intensity of our activity. It has the idea of training to the, the, the fullest amount that there's nothing else holding you back. And, and essentially he's saying, you're, you're bared down for training. And, and that's a command. That's the Lord's instruction for how we approach our pursuit of godliness. We lay aside every weight. We strip down to the extent that things that could distract or detract or, or hinder us, they're not there anymore. That's God's perspective on how we're to pursue holiness, is that it's going to require us to, to whittle down in what we are doing. And even to lay some things aside. That's, that's where that command comes back in. The first one, I have nothing to do with. Refuse these worldly fables. And even as you look at the rest of this passage, the language that's used throughout it reflects this intensity. Look with me at verse 10. <clears throat> for it is for this that we labor and strive. Verse 15. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them. Verse 16. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teeth teaching, persevere. It's not just in this text. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. I discipline, Paul talking about himself, I discipline my body and make it my slave. In Hebrews chapter 12, we're commanded to lay aside every encumbrance and the sin that does so easily entangle us and run with endurance the race that's set before us. <clears throat> that means that there's a definitive mark of work and labor associated with this pursuit of holiness and godliness. And it's going to take laying aside and rejecting and neglecting some other things. Remember, I said I would come back to that first command, the idea of refuse these worldly fables, these other things. Really, these two commands are side by side in this verse. 
have nothing to do with and discipline or but rather discipline yourself the pursuit of godliness is going to take self-denial the pursuit of godliness will take denying yourself and rejecting some things it'll take setting aside some other things for the sake of disciplining yourself and I don't remember if I read this somewhere or if I heard somebody preaching about this pretty sure I heard somebody preaching about this um but they were talking about, and we've all heard sort of this analogy, but, you know, Olympic athletes, they, they train from the time that they can walk, and all that they do, they have special tutors, they homeschool, all that they're doing is dedicating themselves to the pursuit of athletic achievement, that they would become the best of the best, the highest, that they would achieve this pinnacle. And yet, and, and, and you know, we, we know the analogy from the Bible that, you know, um, from the New where Paul writes and says, these do so to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. And, and that's so true. I mean, you think about it, and I joke with um, some of the students in student ministry when I would teach them there and, and, and talk about <clears throat> nobody, nobody remembers who played in the 2011 NBA Finals, much less who won. And, and there's one student who, who took me up on that and was like, I don't remember that. And, and so now there's like four people alive who remember who played and won in the 2011 NBA Finals. But <clears throat> understand, it's, it's, you know, they labor and they strive for these things, for this achievement that 10 years later, 15 years later, nobody knows, nobody cares. It, and for us, we're given a command by God Almighty to live in such a way that would be at least an analogy to the way that an Olympic athlete trains. And it's for an imperishable crown. It's for something that is so much more longer lasting than fame, a gold medal, a stand on a podium. But again, how do we do this? Because it's one thing to to even recognize and say, okay, we need to do this. It's an entirely different thing to say, okay, how do we do it? How do we do the work of disciplining ourselves for godliness? What sort of action items can I take away from this? Um, I remember several different times when I'd be writing emails for the school or for the church, I would have have somebody come to me and say, okay, but give me an action item. What do we do with that? You're telling me information, but tell me what to do with it. So what sort of action items can we take away from a command that says, discipline yourself for godliness? What does that look like? So this is where Jonathan Edwards enters the picture and, and the, the 70 resolutions, okay? So really, this is where Jonathan Edwards and, and this little book enters the picture. Um, and if you don't have a copy of this, I, I plan to have a few extras with me. You can find this online if you search Jonathan Edwards resolutions, if you want to pull it up on your phone and be able to look at it with me. Um, look at the, um, the Yale version, not the Desiring God version. Um, because the Desiring God version actually rearranges a whole bunch of them. So look at the Yale version. It's the second option on Google. Um, <clears throat> the things that you retain, you know? Um, and like I said, if you want to get a copy of this, you can get them from the bookstall at the church on Sunday. Um, we have a few of them there. Now, before we can actually start talking about the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, we have to understand who Jonathan Edwards is and why we're going to use these resolutions, um, at least as a partial answer to, to a way to discuss how can we start doing the work of disciplining ourselves for godliness. 
So if you're not very familiar with Jonathan Edwards, we're going to start kind of at ground zero. And one of the things that I found is a lot of times we might, um, we might be able to be like, oh yeah, I recognize that name. We've quoted him before. We know who that is. The other day I had a book. I don't have it out now. Um, I had a book in my office um, with Spurgeon on the cover. And Abby was with me. It was before she was going into class. And she's like, that's the guy from your hat. That's right. <laughs> this is progress. Um, and so, but she has no clue his significance. She has no idea why I have books and a hat and a shirt and his picture on my wall and um, the little shrine that we burned the camp. No, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> <Exactly>. But <laughs> no, not, not yet. So that would be funny. Yeah. So, but but having just like a familiarity, of like oh, that guy's significant. Um, a little bit different than knowing a little bit more about them. So I just want to kind of give you a real brief bio, uh, biographical sketch. Um, Edwards was born in 1703 um, in what was still then the British colonies um, in, uh, in Connecticut. He died in 1758, which is 17 years, about 20 years before the American Revolution. Um, he was a pastor in New York, then in Connecticut. Um, he served in that same church that he was in in Connecticut for about 20 years um, before being voted out. Um, and uh, he became a missionary to American Indians in uh, Pennsylvania. And after this, he was called to serve as the president of Yale University. During his time as a pastor, he wrote extensively a lot, a lot, a lot of books um, and articles and different things like that. And he's remembered as one of the giants of, of the American theological world. And uh, even in secular philosophy, He's referenced a lot for his, his work on uh, the freedom of the will. Um, in literature, he's most commonly remembered for one sermon that he preached, Centers in the Hands of an Angry God, um, <clears throat> which is a sermon he preached during a period of time known today as the Great Awakening. And uh, in terms of his enduring legacy in the world of Christianity, uh, this is something that's another name that you might be familiar with but don't know a little about. Um, Martin Lloyd-Jones had this to say about Jonathan Edwards. He said, I'm tempted to compare the Puritans to the Alps, Luther and Calvin to the Himalayas, and Jonathan Edwards to Mount Everest. He has always seemed to me the man most like the Apostle Paul. So that's, that's pretty high praise from the doctor. Um, what's interesting is <clears throat> about these 78 resolutions that, that we're about to look at, and uh, this is something that the editor of the this booklet, Stephen Nichols uh, points out, is that they're basically written before Jonathan Edwards is the Jonathan Edwards. It's before Sinners in the Hands of the Angry God. Um, it's, it's before he's president of Yale. It's before he's written um, on Freedom of the Will. It, it's before he's part of the, the Great Awakening, before he's a missionary to the, the Indians. Um, when he begins writing these, he's a 19-year-old kid in New York City getting ready to start his first pastorate. He's just finished his um, university education. He is um, uh, a fairly new convert. He had been, he had been converted in seven, spring of 1721. He begins writing these in the fall of 1722. So roughly a year and a half later, he's beginning to write these. Um, no, he, now, he'd been raised in a very solid Christian home. Um, his father was a pastor. But essentially, he's looking out on his life about, uh, about to embark on adulthood. And he's, he's trying to set boundaries and guardrails. They're going to keep him grounded towards godliness. So Steve Lawson has this to say about it. He says, without the structure of home and school, 
Edward sensed that he needed spiritual discipline to match the new freedom that he was afforded. Edward, at this time in his life, is about to go begin an interim pastorate in New York City. <clears throat> it's the largest city that he's ever visited, um, with a population of about 10,000 at, at that time. Huge. Huge. One of the, one of the larger cities in the colonies. And he's, he's analyzing how he can pursue holiness. And one of his biographers, George Marsden, this, this one, um, had this to say. Edwards directed his resolutions towards plugging every gap that, w- that would allow distractions from glorifying God. Steve Lawson again says, the very beginning of his Christian journey, Edwards asked himself, how do I want to live? What's my purpose in life? What type of person do I want to be? His answers to these questions were framed in the resolutions. So if you've got the booklet, you're not going to see this if you're just looking online, so I'm sorry. But if you've got the booklet, um, Nichols writes on page 10, as you read the resolutions, this is middle of the page, second paragraph. As you read the resolutions, you cannot help but see Edward's resolve to bring all areas of his life under control. No aspect of life goes unnoticed, the resolutions also reveal Edward's utmost determination, this is the very last paragraph, his utmost determination to bring every area of his life under subjection of the Lordship of Christ and to rest in the sovereignty of God. So Edward's 70 resolutions stand as a framework that he establishes for the pursuit of godliness. They're the, they're the rails that are going to keep him disciplined for godliness. And this is his workout plan, so to speak. This is his, as we, as we just read, bring every aspect of life under the control of God, under, under his control in the pursuit of godliness. And this is so helpful for us because we don't, we don't live this way. We don't live a disciplined life. Most, most any of us. You might be like, no, I'm organized. But I, I mean, like, we don't live a life that's saying, I want to bend every aspect that I can towards this one singular pursuit of glorifying God. But Edwards provides us trail markers for how he did it. And, and now, 300 years removed from him, 300, roughly 300 years removed from him, we, we can see from our vantage point, these are, these are good trail markers. These are good steps in the pursuit of godliness. These worked for Edwards. And we'd be wise to take heed to his plan, to his pattern. It's not something authoritative, but it is something that's helpful. So what we're going to be doing over the next several months when we gather is considering these, not really one at a time, um, but grouped together thematically. Grouping them together around uh, ones that are of a similar topic. And we're going to consider how to obey this command to discipline ourselves for godliness. But tonight, rather than diving right into resolution number one, but I would encourage you, Take a look at some of these. Read through some of these. They're, they're astounding. Especially when you consider, again, this is a 19-year-old kid. This is, this is a 19-year-old who's, who's going and saying, as a new believer, but one who's raised um, with a good deal of, of Christian uh, influence, maturity from his family, who's saying, okay, how can I, and he writes these over the course of, from, anywhere from August to about, I think July is the latest date in the next one, so almost a, over the course of a year, um, as he's living and ministering in a, in a brand new environment, essentially on his own. These are the structures that he's going to build into his life that, that will carry really through the rest of his life. He's going to make reference to them through his diary for as long as he keeps his diary and his personal narrative that he writes 
decades later. Um, I, I believe he wrote that when he was in the, the president of Yale. He's going to make reference to this and, and how it had really shaped and directed so much of his life and labor. Um, but rather than looking at them, we're, we're going to begin really where the resolutions begin. Um, and so again, if you got the booklets on page 17, if you don't, um, look at the preamble with me. It, it's the section right before number one, okay? <clears throat> and this is what Edwards writes. Being sensible that I'm unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him or ask him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. Remember to read over these resolutions once a week. So just two things to, to consider if you just look at that part. Keeping in mind that the next 70 items that he's going to list down, ranging in everything from how to prepare for death to how to eat to how to, how to manage your time to um, how will you conduct yourself on the Lord's Day. I mean, he's going to be exhaustive in his, in his exploration of this and in his um, treatments and consideration of this. There's two things right here in the preamble that, they're, that are twin realities of pursuing godliness. And it's fantastic if you see what, what, he's, what he's just said. Edward says, I'm unable to do anything without God's help. In the first sentence. And then the last sentence is, remember to read these once a week. Right here, what this means, this isn't a contradiction, it's not a mistake. This is the biblical reality of our responsibility and our inability in our own strength to accomplish holiness. And this is probably the most frustrating thing in the pursuit of holiness, is the fact that we are commanded to do exactly what we cannot apart from the power of God. And that can be frustrating. That can be frustrating. But I think, again, Edwards helps us here. He's under no misunderstanding or mis misconception about his ability to keep these resolutions. And they're fantastic. They're things like resolved never to do any manner of thing. This is number four. Whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. How many of us on a weekly basis are saying, I just want to only do those things, soul or body, less or more, what is only tending to the glory of God. And then he goes on to say, a little bit later on, I think it's number 12 where he's going to say, um, and if I find any, there's number eight, if I find anything that is a contradiction to that, I'm going to repudiate it as a violation of resolution number four. In other words, I'm going to reject that thing. I'm not going to do it. He goes on a little bit later, and he's going to talk about how, um, let's see, resolved number 29, never to count that a prayer nor to let that pass as a prayer, as a petition of prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer it. Only praying when you mean it. Only praying something that you expect that God will answer it. Not just these, hey man, I'm praying for you, have a good day. And we never get around to it. Instead, Edwards, Ed, Edwards sees here and confesses here in the preamble as a weekly reminder that all is vain unless the Lord builds the house. And that includes our sanctification. And, and it's amazing, though, that he gives us in this paragraph the, the twin realities that we also must work. 
that the Father absolutely will bring all of the Son's purchased flock into growth in righteousness through the work of the Spirit. We're helpless in ourselves, but we have a helper, and therefore we must work. We must pursue, we actually must pursue godliness. Jesus promised this in, his upper room, in the upper room of the disciples in John's Gospel. I'm going to send the helper to you. Paul referenced this constantly in his epistles, uh, that we have the, holy, the, the spirit of holiness empowering us, sealing us, guiding us. We have his word that the Holy Spirit illumines to bring to light, to work into us godliness. We have all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, <clears throat> here we got to have just a quick pause uh, about, again, wrong expectations. We, we talked about this in the beginning. Wrong expectations about where well, we can just know the right things, we can want the right things. Um, so often, so much of the um, falsehood that, that's floating around with the Holy Spirit has to do with wrong expectations about the work of the Spirit. That somehow we expect the Spirit to be doing things that the Bible never promises that the Spirit will do. And so we're led into all kinds of trouble. Expecting that, we can just sit back, kick back, lay in bed, and the Holy Spirit's going to make us skinny. Like, that somehow we are going to just shift into neutral and the Holy Spirit's going to do the work, so I don't have to. But that's not the biblical pattern. That's not the, the, the promise from the Spirit of the Spirit. And, and Edwards realized that. And, and that's, a, that's really a critical component. Edwards realized convincingly that apart from the Spirit of God in him, he could not accomplish spiritual progress. This is not a bare-knuckle matter of will, willpower. That he's just going to grit his teeth and he's going to push through this is a work of God that he promises he's going to do. How do we know that we're going to grow in holiness? Because God said he's going to cleanse us through the washing of the water of the word. This takes place in the community of believers. It takes place as we read and study the scriptures. This work is being done. That he who began a good work in us will see it through to completion. We know that he will. And we must rely on it. And the flesh profits nothing. Edwards in his, in his diary even reveals this attitude towards the rest of his own resolutions. He, he writes this um, at, at one point. Our resolutions may be at the highest one day and yet the next day we may be in a miserable dead condition. Not at all like the same person who resolved. Man, how familiar does that sound? I'll tell you, and this is just a real quick plug about reading Christian biographies. I came into studying for this with Edwards on a pedestal, with Edwards being like, man, Edwards, he just lived different. He was on a different spiritual plane. And, but then I read some of what Edwards wrote about himself, where he's, he's like, man, today I just... I love the Lord and things are great and I'm finding my satisfaction in Christ and then the next day he writes I'm miserable and I'm horrible and I, I don't even know if I'm a believer and then like a week later he's coming along going man it's wonderful and I've never been so satisfied in the Lord and the next day he's going I'm just a wretch I'm horrible I'm awful I don't even want to read the Bible and I'm, and I'm going he's human he's just like me and it was so encouraging and this is what he has to say about this even with the resolutions, 
It's no purpose to resolve. The guy who wrote the resolutions. It's no purpose to resolve except we depend on the grace of God. For if it were not for his mere grace, one might be a very good man one day and a very wicked one the next. What that points us towards is we are not able to sustain and persevere on our own power. We're not meant to. We're not meant to. And we're not promised that's what we're supposed to do. Instead, we're promised to have the Holy Spirit empowering us to do this. Again, Steve Lawson points this out. By admitting his need for divine help, Edwards guarded against the subtle trap of dependence on his own inadequate strength. We don't have this, y'all. We don't have the strength to grow in holiness on our own. We cannot gain godliness in our own strength. And the flip side of this is that we must do something. Again, I don't want to neglect either side. It's not just trusting in our own power and strength. It's admitting our inadequacy and trusting in the adequacy promised by the Father in the Spirit to accomplish this work rather than trusting in our own careful scheduling and great determination and personality and willpower to power us through. Because that is going to fail. Now, it's at this point, we, we get, again, we've we got to pause for just a second and say, okay, how do I know which one I'm doing? How do I know that I'm not just super organized and I, I wake up early enough consistently that I can get in the Word and I'm not just doing that on my own strength and I'm actually relying in the power of the Spirit? Or how can I combat sin and know whether or not I'm doing that in the power of the Spirit or in the power of the flesh? And, and I think there's a really easy test for this. And it's two questions. It's two questions. In my fight against sin, first question, did I fail? Did I fail? Did I succumb to temptation? Did I give in? Did I not follow through in the pursuit of godliness? If you failed in it, you can be assured that you are not walking in step with the Spirit in that. You can, you can, you can be very, very secure in knowing that you were not in that moment being empowered to, because it's not like the Spirit's going to be defeated in your temptation. So first question, did you fail? Second question, are you proud? Are you, are you proud of how you dealt with that? So real, real, common, real common scenario, I'll walk you through it. Um, uh, guy driving over the Palm City Bridge sees, sees somebody out jogging and goes, oh, I, I gotta be careful, I gotta bounce my eyes, I gotta look the other way. And then, because I don't, want, I don't want to lust, I don't want to have an inappropriate thought, whatever, so driving over the bridge, bounce the eyes, and I'm, just, I'm doing so good, I'm just rocking this holiness thing, I'm just pursuing godliness. Are you proud of your accomplishment? Then, then you can be fairly certain that's not the spirit that you're relying on that. The spirit isn't going to fuel your pride because here's the deal. Your flesh might be able to win for a little while. You, you might be able to rely on your flesh for a little bit. That you might have enough determination, you might have enough willpower to make pro progress in not holiness, but in self-reformation. 
people look, people stop bad habits all the time. That doesn't mean that they're doing the power of the spirit. You have people who, who, you know, quit smoking, quit drinking, quit swearing as often, and it has nothing to do with the spirit of God in their life. It just has everything to do with they, you know, will get in trouble at work if they keep doing that. Or they have a health problem and they're going to self-reform. And believers can do the exact same thing and fool themselves into think that they're relying on the power of the Spirit to do it. So the reverse of that would also be true. If after getting up and reading your Bible and spending time in prayer with the Lord, you come away from that going, man, God is just so good that I, I had grace to do that this morning. Not, man... I had a tweet about this. It was such a good time in the Word, and I had to Instagram my time in the Bible because everybody knows that I did it. That's that's in the power of the flesh. That's not in the power of the Spirit. The second part of this, this, I'm not able to do anything on my own. The second part of this, this must do something, comes in Edwards, preamble in that last sentence. Remember to read through these once a week. And that's where the discipline, <clears throat> the discipline, the stripping down, where we practice godliness, where we structure, we plan, we do the work. But it only benefits of, benefits us of, benefits us if it's in the power of the spirit. We, we have to still do those things. Jay Adams, who um, is uh, the biblical counseling guy, okay, Jay Adams says, discipline means work. It means sustained daily effort. Because we can't claim to be relying on the Spirit and be spiritually lazy as an excuse. Well, the Spirit didn't wake me up to read my Bible this morning, so... The Spirit didn't, didn't uh, make me not gossip with that person, so I guess that one's on the Spirit, not on me. Like, that's not how this works. we still have to do the work. We still apply the structures. Without that daily effort, there won't be any progress. And Jay Adams continues on and says this, the practice of godliness leads to the life of godliness. Here then is your answer about how to grow in godliness. Regularly read the scriptures, prayerfully do as they say, according to schedule, regardless of how you feel. There's not some mystic key there's not some, you know, sit cross-legged and, and moan for long enough and you'll be empowered by the Spirit. That's, that's not it. It takes regular discipline and work. Again, it's not negating or neglecting the Holy Spirit. But we've got to have both. Now, back to the resolutions, or really the, the booklet. In uh, page 12, Nichols writes, Edwards prefaces his resolutions with an exhortation to remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Perhaps this bit of advice is also worthy of imitation. In other words, this isn't a command of God, y'all, to, to read through this. This isn't some hidden secret key that the Father forgot to stick into the back of the Bible. But it is a tool. It, it's, it's a means that God has graciously given us from the life of a godly man 
to to give us <laughs> to, to give us the enabling to discipline ourselves for the purpose of godliness. And Edward's life bears this out, that he did just that, that he disciplined himself for godliness. And this was helpful for him. So what we're going to be doing over the next several months is when we group these together and consider these and, and weigh them against Scripture is let's see how he did it, see if we can look at the godly pattern left by him and benefit from it. Keeping in mind that all points, apart from the Spirit, it's no profit. But we've still got to work. This evening, when I, when I was taking notes and when I was preparing for this, um, I told Stephen earlier today, I titled this Striving Grind and Strength of the Lord. Because at the end of the day, it's, it's, as, it's as simple and as impossible as that. It is the striving grind. And listen, that means structure, which is not favorable to our flesh. It's not favorable to our generation. It's not favorable to our society. But it takes discipline. It takes discipline. Now, discipline apart from the Spirit, what's this? But the Spirit working through our disciplines, great gain. And that's what this can be for us, a means of disciplining ourselves for godliness. Any questions? Yes. Um, that was actually one of the next things we were going to tackle. Was no, no, you're fine. Um, about like how often we would be meeting. Um, I think every Friday would be a little much for most of us, and like. Sorry. Yeah. No. 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 Um, just with ministry stuff at the church, it, it wouldn't be able to work. Um, but we are looking at probably doing it every. The next one I was going to try to do was the 21st, I believe. Yeah, the 21st. Um, I think there's nothing on the church calendar as far as I know for that. Um, and there is, uh, there might be like volleyball games or stuff like that. Um, but we're looking at it probably being every three to four weeks. Which we might revise that later. It might do it even a different night. But Friday seems to work for most people. Any other questions?